Psalm 73 declared to us in the 22nd verse, So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Those beasts were described in Psalm 49 as being cast into the grave like sheep. And here Asaph admits that it was ignorance that caused him the trouble of the first half of Psalm 73. It's forgetting the things God has taught us that cause us to get infatuated with this world and end up with a vain and vexing life. Therefore, the Apostle Paul gave us some clear chapters about the resurrection and what happens after death and what happens when the Lord comes so that we would comfort one another and edify one another with these words so that we would not be like Asaph and be waylaid by the wicked around us. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A horrible thing was happening at the church at Corinth, and we covered that last Sunday, in that there were false teachers there that were denying the resurrection of the dead in general, which meant that the Lord Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, and those that had fallen asleep in Jesus weren't going to rise from the dead either. And so their situation was quite hopeless. But I want to point out to you a couple of things that are said here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 2, By which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory. Asaph didn't keep it in memory in Psalm 73. If Asaph had kept Psalm 49 in memory, the first half of Psalm 73 wouldn't have happened. If the Corinthians had been a little stronger and wouldn't have put up with a different Jesus and another gospel and another spirit, they would have been saved from the hopeless situation of 1 Corinthians 15 by receiving false teachers that denied the resurrection. I want you to notice and remember from last Sunday the importance of our knowledge. Remember what David declared in Psalm 49, I'm going to speak of wisdom and I'm going to give understanding. And it's that knowledge that keeps us. When we go into the house of God, then understood I their end. I got my understanding back. And that's why we're covering this subject that we'll get our understanding back. Look at verse 34 of the same chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Paul, to this church, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I don't want any of you to be ashamed before the Lord Jesus Christ. He's watching and examining all of your thoughts and the intents of your heart right now. I don't want you to be ashamed. Do you know where shame comes from? Not having the knowledge of God. What knowledge of God? That He will raise the dead. Right. We want to have that solidly implanted in our minds. Right. And we want to lay hold of that and keep it tight as one of our favorite thoughts of the Word of God. This is what God has done for His children. He has saved them from the death, hell, and eternal judgment that He designed for wicked rebels. Let's now come to the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. Before we go further, because we ended so hastily last Lord's Day due to time, let's just remind ourselves of the last couple of verses. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's victory in Jesus right there over sin, death, the devil, and hell, and eternal condemnation. Verse 58, Therefore, 
because of the 57 verses I've just given you, Corinthians, therefore, my beloved brethren, God has indeed loved us. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Anything that you can do for the kingdom of heaven, anything that you can do to serve Jesus Christ and His people, no matter whether you receive recognition or thanksgiving here, does not matter. There is a great payday coming. And we shouldn't even be doing it for a payday anyway. We should be doing it because He is worthy, and so are His people worthy. If they're the sons of God, then they deserve our affection and our service. But brethren, because of 1 Corinthians 15, it gives us a reason. It gives us a motive for kingdom duties. Whether you're cleaning the fellowship hall or the bathrooms in this building, or whether you're visiting the sick and you don't really know what to say, whatever you do, the Lord Jesus Christ will remember every bit of it. Because our lives are not confined to this world. We have one coming. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, doing those things is tiring and frustrating. So we have this 58th verse. My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is not a pastoral epistle. This isn't to Timothy or Titus. This is to the church at Corinth. The work of the Lord. It's not going to work in... Seeing if you can be the hardest worker there for its eternal reward, although that has a small role in doing the work of the Lord. It's what you can do that directly impacts the kingdom of heaven. Loving your brethren, serving your brethren, working in faith, building up the church, doing what you can. It's not vain because there's a day coming in the which we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn over now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have 1st and 2nd Corinthians and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians as general epistles. In 1st Corinthians, we had chapter 15 about the resurrection last Sunday. Now we come to 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. In 1st Thessalonians 4 and 5, the resurrection is described. And in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2, the timing of it is given and some more details. A lot is mentioned about what is yet to come. Future things, as we call them. Eschatology or Bible prophecy. But here we come to 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, as Paul's going to add a little bit to what we learned last Sunday in chapter 15 of the first epistle. I would like to read to you, first of all, verse 16, and chase a short little side thought. 2 Corinthians 4.16, For which cause we faint not, But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. This is God holding the hand of Asaph in Psalm 73. He was also holding the hand of the Apostle Paul and renewing his strength day by day. God isn't going to give you enough strength to think that you can whip all your obstacles and difficulties for the next ten years. He's going to give you strength as your day. Because he's already taught you to live life one day at a time. Because he wants you depending upon him for that, that piece of time that he calls a day. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. But he'll give you strength for it. If you'll get up every morning seeking to serve him, he will give you the strength for that day. And by living a string of successive Christian, successful days, 
we can end up with a successful Christian life. Back to verse 17 and 18. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul said that by inspiration. Asaph taught us that by experience. But here's the right view of life. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So much wisdom in two verses. Christians know that if you can put it under a microscope, it's temporal, it's going away, it's of very little value. If you can lay hold of it with a telescope, it's going away, it's of very little value. The afflictions of life, and Paul had more than you and your five Job friends will ever have. Paul had them, but you know what he called them? Our light affliction. And when Paul calls something affliction, he is referring to a thorn in the flesh that was the messenger of Satan to buffet him. That's to beat him. With fists. To buffet him. He was whipped. He was stoned. He was beaten with rods. He was scourged. He was shipwrecked. He was in fear for his life in the deep. He was in fear for his life with robbers. He was naked. He was cold. And he calls it a light affliction for a moment. Because a 70-year life is a moment. If I was to take the front of this room and put a black band all the way across the front of this room and lay a human hair on it, you wouldn't be able to see the human hair, but maybe I could give you a tiny little example of what your 70-year life looks like in comparison to eternity. Right. You can't even see it. Light affliction for a moment. Paul's life. You'll never get close to Paul's life. So yours is lighter, and it's shorter. It worketh for us. By enduring those things, you lay hold of, and you give evidence of something better coming for you. Because the Bible tells us that suffering, persecution, and affliction for the cause of Jesus Christ is an evident token of salvation. If you do it for the cause of Christ... If you do it cheerfully for Jesus' sake, just because you're poor and stupid and you're always tripping and falling down the stairs of life, that doesn't prove anything. But if you have enemies coming up and afflictions arising, whether they're body, financial, professional, or domestic, or any other kind, and you cheerfully bear them for Jesus' sake, they're an evident token of your salvation. They work for you a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Now that is, there's no better language that can be used to set something in contrast to a light affliction for a moment. But to say it is an exceeding and eternal weight. An exceeding weight is the heaviest weight because it exceeds all other weights. Right. An eternal weight is one that lasts forever. 
And it's called a weight. There's nothing light about it because it's exceeding heavy. Heavy in value. Heavy in blessing. And it lasts forever. And Paul adds by the Holy Spirit the words far more, in case you missed that point. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What is coming in heaven... This is what Christians have believed for 2,000 years. This is how they were able to go to the stake. This is how they were able to face lions in the Colosseum. This is how they were able to be pulled apart on Catholic racks of torture. This is how they were able to lose all in this world and be destitute. Because they knew that there was a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory waiting for them. When you lay hold of that, nothing that can happen to you in this life amounts to anything. It is a light affliction... But for a moment. And we as Christians need to stir each other up to believe that. And we're to look at the things which are seen. We are not to look at the things which are seen according to verse 18. Because we can't see the exceeding weight of glory. We can't see the eternal weight of glory. We can't see what is far more than the light affliction. So we look at things that aren't seen. The things which are not seen are eternal, and the things which you can see are temporal. Everything that you can walk out of your door and see, your yard, your car, everything you can walk in your house and see, your furniture, your children, every time you pull into the parking lot of your employer, whether he be large or small, he's temporal. He's going away. Bye-bye. It's all going to be burned up. All the elements that make it shall melt with fervent heat. As the Lord changes the world... To be fit for change, saints. It's all going away. I don't care how many stories it is. Sometimes they go away sooner than thought. You know, there used to be bond trading organizations that I dealt with in the top of the World Trade Center. But their carcasses are in a cemetery now. And they have their offices elsewhere. But it's all going to go the same place. So we look at the things that are not seen. And if you jump down into chapter 5 to that 7th verse, it's in parentheses. For we walk by faith, not by sight. A real Christian walks by faith, not by sight. He is not moved by the things he sees. Whether he sees them in person, or he sees them in the newspaper print, or he sees them on the television, or he sees them on the internet... He doesn't walk by the things he can see. He walks by faith. He has a whole set of events that are going to take place that he knows by faith because they're recorded in God's Word. And here are some of them in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Since hopefully you read this last evening, let me read it verse by verse, comment briefly on it, and go to another passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 1, For we know. We know. Does that sound like ignorance? Does that sound like Asaph? No. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. A child of God walks by faith, not by sight. He knows that this body is temporal because it can be seen. If you can look in a mirror and see it, it's temporal. If you can read about something in the Bible that you can't see, it's eternal. There's a body that God has prepared for me, and it's going to last eternal in the heavens. 
that if this body is thrown into the ground, it's going to dissolve. As soon as the moisture gets a hold of it and the spirit leaves it, it's got plenty of moisture already in it, and it's got plenty of bacteria in it. But if the spirit isn't there to motivate to move the blood through my bacteria-laden flesh, it starts to dissolve immediately and it turns to dust. It turns to clay, then it turns to dust as the water completely evaporates out of it. I will finally lose 70% of my body weight as all the water disappears and there will be a little bit of bone left and dust. It dissolves. Our bodies of this earthly house. I remember my parents telling me at a very young age, little boy, as I would go in and they'd lift me up and look in a casket and see some corpse there, I was told that isn't them. That's the house they lived in. That's the house they lived in. Is that scriptural? According to 2 Corinthians 5, 1, it's scriptural. All you children, when we have a funeral, and we will have one soon, we don't know who it's going to be first, but it's going to be one of us. We'll have a funeral, and when you see the corpse in that box, when you see that body, that's not the person, that's the house for the person. Now, the person wants a house, but God's going to change that house to give them a better house. And that's what 5.1 is all about in 2 Corinthians 5. And see, this is what a Christian goes through life with. He walks into a funeral home. He looks down. That isn't them. They're in heaven. That's their house. And that thing can corrupt. Let's go ahead and get it buried because the sooner we can bury it, it's under the ground where it ought to be. It can dissolve away. Because it shall be changed. 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And so we believe that. And we go through life that way. And that's why we had a brother last week. Some of you, it may have caught you off guard like it did me. That when I asked him if he would like us to sing How Sweet to Die at his funeral... He said, as long as there's a good case of wine under his casket. I didn't hear him as well as I should have, so I, I thought he said a, a good case of wine in his casket. And I was trying to figure out what he thought he was going to do with it in the cemetery. But he meant under his casket for us to all have a nice drink because he's going to a better place. Because that's a Christian walking by faith, not by sight. The world walks in and looks in the box and they see the person. It's all over for Joe. He can't get any more promotions at the bank. Oh, he's not married anymore. He'll not see his kids graduate from high school. Oh, poor Joe. Poor Joe because Joe's going to fall into hell. Like the rich man did in Luke chapter 16. But the righteous have a very different attitude about things because they understand 5.1. I hope you understand it. Many things could be said about this earthly house that we have in which we dwell. We're going to have a new one. We read about it last Sunday in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go to verse 2. For in this we groan. And here's where we as Christians need to measure ourselves by Paul. Do you groan for this event? If you don't groan, you're not a Christian. 
Now, you may by some slight chance be one of God's elect that's not living like a Christian. But there's not any hope for that. I can't hold out hope for you on that point. Christians groan because they don't like this life. They know that there is another life so much better that this life is vain and vexing to them in comparison. So Paul would say, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. The house not made with hands. When the Bible says something's made with hands and something isn't made with hands, if it's made with hands, it's natural. If it's not made with hands, it's spiritual. That's all that it means. We have a spiritual body coming. Didn't we learn that in 1 Corinthians 15? That's not made with hands. Jesus said, according to a testimony given at His trial, in Mark chapter 14 and verse 58, that this man said, destroy this temple that was made with hands, and I'll raise it up again in three days, a temple made without hands. They, being ignorant and brute beasts, thought he was talking about Herod's temple that took 46 years to build. He was referring to his body, which had a natural body, but in three days he was going to raise it a spiritual body because it was all healed, wasn't it? Stick your fingers in my wounds. Could he walk through walls? Could he appear wherever he wanted to? Could he levitate right into heaven? Yes. He had a spiritual body. That's what it means when it says... Not made with hands in verse 1. It's our spiritual body. But I want us to lay hold of this fact. That if we're really Christians, we will groan in this body, earnestly desiring to get the next one. It's that real. It's not like, well, I guess I can just go ahead and die and hope that what we've heard all our lives is true. No. It's more than that. It's a living faith. It's a living hope. It's abounding in hope. And do you know how we get it stirred up? We get it stirred up with the Bible and with preaching and with singing and with comforting one another and edifying one another with these words. That's how we do it. Because as soon as we walk out of these doors, they are trying to entice us and seduce us with things that can be seen. And we get infatuated with them. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. My soul and spirit are tired of this body. They are tired of its decay. They are tired of its weakness. They are tired of its sin nature. So I want a new body from heaven that is... Remember last, remember last Sunday? It is raised in power, honor, incorruptibility, immortality. And without sin, it's fit for the presence of God. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. If this is true, what I've just said in verses 1 and 2, the word so means in the way described, if this is all true, then I want to be clothed and not be found naked. I just don't want to die. To die is to be found naked. Because your soul doesn't have a body. What do we call a a spirit without a body? A a dis. A disembodied spirit or a disembodied soul. Because it's out of its body. It's not clothed. Paul's going to go on and explain what he means in this third verse. It's kind of obscure in the way that it's worded. But if so be, verses 1 and 2 are true, I want to get to that second body. I'm not asking about dying, is what Paul's saying. I don't want to be found naked. I want to be clothed. 
Because just to die is to be naked for a while. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to get the new body. He says it in verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. He's going to explain the groaning of verse 2. Being burdened. Are you burdened? Or do you think that life is just peachy? Or is there underlying a constant burden that life does not work out the way that it ought to and should? Are you burdened? Are you groaning? Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. I'm just not groaning to die and be unclothed. I'm groaning to be clothed upon with my immortal body from heaven. Are are we groaning for it? And if we're not, we need to confess that error. That we are valuing the things we can see more than the things we cannot see. That we are walking by sight, not by faith. That we are valuing the light things, the light pleasures, the short-term pleasures of this life more than the eternal pleasures of the life that is coming. We need to assess our souls, examine ourselves, and make sure that our priorities are on the things God's Word tells us they ought to be. Verse 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. Let's stop right there. What a glorious clause. The selfsame thing. Getting a new, glorified, powerful, immortal, incorruptible body. Living in heaven forever. With Jesus Christ. With a new body clothing your soul and spirit. Put back together to live eternally in the presence of God. That is the self-same thing of verses 1 through 4. This wonderful blessing that God has promised before the world began, it is called eternal life. And we've got to have a new body to live eternally. And it shall be changed. This self-same thing is by the work of God. And He has worked in us for this end. This is the doctrine of election in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. Now he that hath wrought. Do you know what the word wrought means? He that has done some work. He that has worked and fashioned something. He fashioned us for the self-same thing is God. God has appointed us to obtain eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God chose you before the world began. God was building an eternal inheritance before the world began. Do you know what the Bible says? Come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen. He that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. Amen. No wonder we're called dearly beloved in the Bible. No wonder God loves us. He's had this plan in mind for us all along. But He's gone to work To make it happen. He's preparing a place in heaven. He designed the whole scheme. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. He raised Him from the dead. He has elected us and justified us and regenerated us. He is going to glorify us. He's got heaven waiting. He is going to send Jesus Christ for us. Whom the heaven must receive until the restitution of all things, as Acts chapter 3 describes it. And he's, He's worked for us to have this. Who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. God hasn't left us just to believe it by simple faith. He's also put within us His Holy Spirit, which is the earnest. 
of this great work and this self-same thing of a new body. How do I know I'm going to get a new body? How do I know there's a heaven? How do I know I'm going to be in heaven? The Bible tells me so, and the Spirit tells me so. But now, if you don't have the Spirit telling you so, don't blame me, don't blame the Bible, don't blame Paul, and don't blame God. You have so quenched and grieved the Holy Spirit by being enamored with this world that the Holy Spirit has withdrawn the joy of His salvation from you. And if you're a decent Christian that has an honest heart, and you're born again, and you've lived a few years of time, you know what I'm talking about because you've been there a few times. You know that when you get too too attracted to the things of this world, you lose your desire for the things of heaven. You, You don't have the Spirit assuring your heart. But God gave us His Spirit that we could assure our hearts before God. 1 John 3 and 4 declare it to us. He's the earnest. It's by Him we cry, Abba, Father. It's by Him we know that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. I can't shed the love of God abroad in your hearts. I can shed it abroad with my mouth to your ears, but God must shed it abroad in your hearts. Romans 5, 5. And the Holy Spirit does that. It's the earnest. It's the, it's the performance bond. It's the down payment that means the rest is coming for absolute certain. Because God has committed His own Spirit into your body. Right. Praise the Lord. Amen. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, which ye have of God and which is in you. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Not in the order the Holy Spirit gave the clauses. I know. But it's wonderful. This is the earnest of the self-same thing that God has done for us. Verse 6. Look at, look at how a Christian reacts to verses like this. You say, well, Paul's writing them. How could he react? Oh, you think so? Paul's a secretary. David said, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. My tongue was the pen of a ready writer. Paul was just writing down what God the Holy Spirit was causing to flow through him. And so he says in verse 6, Therefore, because of verses 1 through 5, because of verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4, Therefore, we are always confident. Are you ever, do you ever lack confidence? How about when it's time to die? How about when you hear the C word in a doctor's office after your tests have come back? How about when you hear the words, get your house in order? Thou shalt surely die. Therefore, we are always confident. See, the wicked are confident too. This is really neat. See, when a man, when a man says he's not afraid of dying doesn't prove a thing. It tends toward being a child of the devil. Did you read in Psalm 73 with me that they have no bands in their death? They believe things like annihilation. I'm just going to go out of existence, so what difference does it make? I'm going to be reincarnated as a cottontail rabbit, and I'm going to bounce around. Or I believe in universalism that everybody goes to heaven anyway. So there are no bands in their death because they're ignorant brute beasts. But this is confidence of a different sort. And Paul said, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, 
we are absent from the Lord. Skip verse 7. You can skip anything in parentheses whenever you read the English language. You're supposed to, to get the main thought, because what's in parentheses is additional supplemental information. Verse 8, we are confident. See, he's back to his point of verse 6. I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. If 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5 is true, there's only two places you can be. In this body and away from the Lord, or out of this body and with the Lord. There's only two places you can be. So, while we're here in this body, let us, let us be steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, because when you change out of this body, you're going to be with the Lord. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Your body won't be present with the Lord. Your soul and spirit will be with the Lord. Remember what Stephen said when he, gave up the, when he died from his stoning in Acts chapter 7, the last five verses? He said, Lord Jesus... Receive my spirit. They stoned his body. His body would have been buried by the saints. But his spirit went into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, who presented him to God. He was received at the hour, moment, second of his death. Therefore, we are always confident. Because we can only be in one of two places. And if we're still here, we're absent from the Lord and things can only get better. If we're not here, we're with the Lord. Whoa! So therefore, to get out of here is a good thing. Therefore, we are always confident. Knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Verse 8, we're confident, I say, and willing rather. I would rather be, and I have a greater desire, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That is a Christian's heart. And that is a heart that we must work on every day and help each other have. Because do you know the truth? Because of sin, nature, because of the world and because of the devil, we like it right here now. Even though none of you are doing anything for the kingdom of heaven comparable to what Paul was doing. The only reason Paul wanted to stay was for the church at Philippi. And I'm in the same group with you. I didn't mean to put anyone down by that statement. The only reason Paul could talk himself into thinking about staying any longer down here was because he knew he could be a benefit to the churches of Jesus Christ. But if it wasn't for that, get me out of here. Right. We walk by faith, not by sight. Stuck right in the middle of verses 6 through 8. Because these things are not taught anywhere else in the world. They're not in the newspaper. You won't see them on Sports Center. Verse 9. Wherefore? Wherefore? We had a therefore in verse 6. Wherefore, here's another secondary application and conclusion of what we've just read. Wherefore, we labor. That, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. If all this is true, then we can live life confidently. If all this is true, then we ought to work very hard to please God and be accepted of Him. This isn't going to change God's work from verse 5. It's just going to... Make it a sure thing to us that we can please Him so that we will be accepted by Him. Wherefore we labor, that whether present, that means we're standing in heaven before Him, or absent, meaning still in our bodies down here on earth, we're accepted with God because we're living acceptable lives that are pleasing in His sight. And then he goes on to describe 
Judgment Day. As we stand before Christ. But, but you know what the rest of 2 Corinthians 5 is going to lay on you? The rest of 2 Corinthians 5 is going to lay on you that we ought to start doing some reasoning. And 2 Corinthians 5 is all here to explain Paul's life as an apostle. The main thrust of 2 Corinthians 5 is Paul defending himself as to why he was the apostle that he was. Because he's about to go on and explain why he preached the way he did, why he lived the way he did, and why he was accused by some as being crazy. He wasn't beside himself except for the fact that he wanted to please God who had promised him these kind of things. And if we ever got Paul's vision, we'd be living like Paul. The love of Christ constraineth me. The love of Christ has put me in a straight jacket in a vice. I can only go in one direction. I can only do one thing. Because we thus judge. This is just logical common sense. We thus judge that if one died for all, if Jesus died a substitutionary death, then we're all dead. Every one of us was sentenced to death ourselves, and there was no deliverance from it. But if one died for all, then they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and gave himself for them. Verses 14 and 15. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If we ever catch a vision of the first nine verses... We're going to change our lives. Right. Because we're going to want to live a Christian life to be accepted of Him who is coming for us. Because the only hope we have of being received by the Lord Jesus Christ when He appears in the air is that we are living a holy and godly life. That's the evidence of eternal life. For if ye do these things, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 11, For if ye do these things, Ye shall never fall. But give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For so an entrance shall be administered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your body's dissolving. It's going to dissolve at a much faster rate as soon as you're dropped in the ground. We're all headed there if, if Jesus doesn't return. The most wonderful thing that could happen is that this whole chapter is shortcut by the Lord Jesus Christ coming before we get to dissolve. And then He can dissolve us with His Word in His presence, looking at His face and seeing His loving affection for us and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That'd be a whole lot better than dissolving in the ground. But if we have our perspective properly... If we have our perspective right, we are seeing things that are eternal by the eye of faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. This is 2 Corinthians 5. The first nine verses add some material to 1 Corinthians 15. The last two verses of chapter 4 add some material to 1 Corinthians 15. This is what we should encourage each other with. We're going to break, but I want to turn you to 1 Thessalonians while we go to remind us of what it says there twice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Saints have gathered in woods, caves, catacombs under Rome. They have gathered in all sorts of place under all sorts of duress, facing all sorts of persecution, with many of them being martyrs for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many laid down their lives... And we're not afraid to do so, and the Bible wants you to know that about them. Listen to this. 
They overcame him. This is the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. They didn't love their lives. They willingly became martyrs. They loved not their lives. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And you know what the word of our testimony is? It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Though the earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved by your fires, I have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Burn me. That's what we ought to be like. But you know what? Those saints gathered together. When they gathered together, they did what I'm about to read to you. Verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And what are the words that come before the 18th verse? Words about the resurrection of the dead and us being with the Lord Jesus Christ, meeting Him in the air and living with Him forever. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Chapter 5 and verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And what are the ten verses that come before verse 11? The declaration that we are the children of the light and the children of the day, set in total contrast to the children of darkness and the children of the night, and that Jesus Christ is coming for us, because as verse 9 tells us, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to be spending our time comforting and edifying one another in these glorious facts so that we can always be confident, whether it's the death of a loved one in this assembly or in our families, or it's our own death. May the Lord bless us by His Spirit to use that earnest that we have within us and to walk by faith, not by sight.